Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter. And with me, as always, my two friends from thirddegree.net. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hello, Peter. I'm calling in today from, well, Addison. Not that exciting. That's How about a, you, boss? That's pretty boring. And, of course, our leader, editor, founder, big man on campus, Buzz Carrick. Come in, buzzard. Hello, Peter, calling in today from Boca Raton, Florida, near the campus of Florida Atlantic University, which is awesome because I'm actually working at Florida International University, so that's fun. <laughs> Wait, why are you <laughs> staying at a hotel next to a university and by my remembrance yeah. of living in Florida almost an hour and a half away from the other place you're actually working the game? That is an excellent question. I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> it's a combination of corporate rates and uh, perhaps a mistake on someone's part. I'm not really sure. They just <laughs> found the closest hotel to the Inter Miami Stadium, didn't they? Yeah, I did pass it. I passed it. The lights were on. I saw it. I think I'm going to go by tomorrow and look for Jason, see if he's around. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, uh, enjoy your drive around. If the weather's nice, actually, you're in a great place to have to take a car ride because the roads are really good in Florida and you can roll the window down and uh, enjoy the ocean breeze for sure. All Except right. for four o'clock every day without fail when there's that weird thunderstorm. Oh, with the lightning. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. That's right. The violent thunderstorm with lightning. Never fails. Uh, okay, guys, believe it or not, we are here. Uh, we are on the precipice of the 25th season of Major League Soccer. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at Indoor the other night. Uh, I said something about it being 25th, and he was, it's the 25th anniversary? I said, yeah. And he said, both of my kids are well under the age of 25, have grown up with a first a first flight, top flight soccer league their entire life in this country. And that is amazing. It is amazing. I'm old enough to have been around when the North American Soccer League collapsed. And then we had for a little while, we had indoor soccer with the great sidekicks teams. And then that collapsed. So it's nice to have. That was always my greatest fear going into this whole thing in 1996 was please, please, please last long enough and survive. And, and they have done so. And it's, on that level, it's remarkable. You can always take some of our legs if you want. We've got too many of them. Yeah, you're not you're none too impressed by that major league soccer, are you, Dan? <laughs> I mean, I'm when they pay me. <laughs> You get paid to enjoy it. Uh, Earlier today, I somehow, by weird chance, in my YouTube recommendations, a video I had never seen before. It was actually relatively good video footage on YouTube of when Pele played at OMB Stadium against the Dallas Tornadoes in 1977 on that incredibly hard, old-school AstroTurf. Uh, in flat shoes at the age of 37. And it's essentially an all-touch video of Pele, and it's pretty great. Um, I tweeted it out on the show um, uh, uh, account at the Kickaround. If you haven't seen it, it's it's pretty fantastic. I don't think I was there. I don't remember. I used to go to a ton of those games. Da- Buzz, was there any chance you were there? Not at Ombi. I saw the tornado late on, I believe, at... Uh, Irving Stadium, which is now gone, of course, with Texas, the old, Stadium. Cow- Texas Stadium. Yes, the whole Cowboys home was the place I saw them play. Yeah, it, it was pretty great. Um, all right, so here we are, uh, the 25th season of Major League Soccer, and of course, also our local team, FC Dallas. 
uh, Buzz, I I don't have a really good sense of what anybody should expect out of the team this year. Uh, Lucci, I thought, was refreshingly honest in kind of uh, setting expectations relatively low and stating multiple times and with multiple media outlets that he's just hoping that they get he's driving towards winning a home playoff game. Uh, so, Buzz, what are your expectations uh, for what people should see out of the team for 2020? Uh, I'm actually with Lucci. I think that's a respectable, honest goal. Um, the team basically, um, from my perspective, the team came out of the end of last season when it was probably playing at the very tail end, not not the little lull before, but the very tail end finally got back to some of its best ball since before Grezzo left. Uh, and they replaced Grezzo finally with Santos, and they've, they've upgraded the left wing spot, it looks like, with uh, – uh, Fafa Pico. And um, so, you know, if, if uh, uh, Cobra can continue his scoring rate from the end of the season, or if Jara can, can add some goals, then I think you'll see a team that can perform at the level of the best of last season, which should put them, uh, you know, in, in that sort of ballpark of uh, what Luigi's talking about. So continuation from last year, cross your fingers, the kids continue to progress. That's where this team is. That's where this franchise is. Dan, do you have any sense, uh, speaking of uh, the number nine position, because Hara is not going to be here until July, at least that's what we assume at this point, unless something uh, changes between now and then, have you seen anything out of Cobra and or Ricardo Pepe to lead us to to believe that they've got somebody on the field that can uh, bag goals at a regular rate uh, for the first half of the season? Um, Definitely, yeah. You know, Cobras had that intensity and and consistency in preseason. Uh, the the couple of goals in uh, in Florida against somebody whose name's escaping me. Uh, you know, that's oh against Philadelphia, of course. Um, you know, that was that was good to see. Uh, a big thing for me, I think we've all highlighted at some point or another is. He only seems to do well at home. Uh, that's a big hurdle to jump past. So. You know that uh, that second game, uh, New York's uh, sorry, third game, New York City on the road is going to be uh, a particularly big one for him. Um, assuming it doesn't, no, it doesn't fall in the window. Um, I, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be. They like say if he can, if he can start doing the business away from home um, with Pepe, he kind of he's had a little bit of an ankle injury through part of preseason so it'd be interesting to see how well he bounces back and and really the kind of opportunities he gets or whether you know Paxton gets back in the side and Jesus is suddenly thrust into the nine conversation again so is you know last year I'm afraid to ask this question because when we asked the question at the beginning of last season uh, Buzz was all about Santiago Mascara and just how hot he was. And mm. The season started and he it's like somebody just threw a bucket of water on him. Uh, so I, I will ask this question uh, with that asterisk in front of it. Is there anybody that just really appears to be on fire that everybody should keep an eye on? Uh, no, which is actually good because um, last year, as you say, Santi was just killing it in preseason and Baji was too. Baji, remember, had six goals. In, in like four games or something. So it's like, you know, those two guys, um, that was something that, that Lu- very, Lucy was very specific about was last year they didn't play enough first teams. And this year they went out of their way to play more first teams and to do it on the road and make the team uncomfortable and challenge themselves. So that's a positive. But um, there's no single person that's like uh, 
on fire, like just crushing the goals and making us get super jazzed up. And I actually like that because I think it means that the team collectively is uh, in a good frame. And it's not just like one or two people that are like busting out. You know, it's a collective quality we're seeing in the in the preseason. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's good to see that 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 balance on the wings as well. There's not, you know, the, the reliance last year on on Mascara and then Mascara goes cold and it's back to uh, Barrios as always. Is you know actually seeing the results of having two two similarly styled players on the wings once again. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that I'm I'm kind of glad that Pico hasn't had that that same mascara spell from last preseason. It's, just, it's kind of the curse of preseason, right? You you have a great preseason and, and, you know, you haven't really gained anything going into the season itself. You know, Buzz, you, you alluded to this earlier, and I, I continue to believe one of the things that is still under-discussed um, about the 2019 season was the impact the sale of Carlos Garezo had uh, on the team uh, from front to back. I, I'm a big believer in the idea that when they sold Carlos Grezo, and you can set aside the argument whether that was a good idea, a bad idea, the right or wrong thing to do um, at the time, that the domino effect uh, happened on both ends of the field. Losing Grezo uh, created a defensive issue because now you're asking Brian Acosta to move out of a position to play a position he wasn't particularly good at. Um, uh, and that created defensive issues, and that also created attacking problems because now you were taking Brian Acosta out and having to kind of rejigger your midfield to account for that move as well. So the the question is, am I wrong in thinking that maybe the most important person for this team that 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 both Lucci and Zanata need to pay off is in fact Tiago uh, Tiago Santos, the Brazilian holding mid that they've brought in. No, that's 100% correct. I agree with that completely. You know, Brian Acosta is not a six. He's an, an eight. I mean, he, he did it, but he's not. And Lucci in particular, in his 4-3-3, wants uh, what he calls a single pivot six, which is a guy that can do it by himself. And Edwin Cirillo is not uh, capable of doing that yet because uh, he's you know young and inexperienced. As much as I like him, he's not there now. So, um this is a significant signing, and if this guy can get locked in and play Grezzo like in, in the spring, he has played Grezzo like. He, he's a dominant game, Colt controlling six. If he can maintain that over the course of the season, then it'll look like the form they had in the first half of last year uh, before they lost Grezzo. Because as you say, that was a significant loss, just as it was a significant addition when Grezzo first came here. You know, it was a gigantic leap forward when that guy was in the middle of the field. There's a reason why he's played in World Cups at 20 or whatever it was, you know, it's for a country that's a great soccer country, not, not, you know, chumps. So um, I, I think Santos is the biggest question mark. And if he turns out to stink, it's going to make us start to wonder um, because Brisson has not exactly lit the world on fire in terms of acquisitions under uh, Andre Zanata. Okay. So Dan, you've seen, I don't know how much you, how much you describe the amount of uh, Tiago Santos you've seen play yet, but out of what you've seen, what, what's your sense about his qualities? Is he uh, a Garezo level type replacement? Is he, is he going to be able to fill that role? Oh, right, I think so. I think he's got a bit more of a cultured play about him in terms of like his, you know, just his starting positioning. Uh, sometimes Grosso would stray out a little bit and then, you know, use his athleticism to get back in place, maybe lunge in a, tra- a tackle that he didn't necessarily need to, pick up a yellow card. 
Um, with Thiago Santos, it seems to be a lot more just just uh, calm, culture play, if anything. Uh, so far, what we've seen in the preseason has been encouraging, and that, if that's going to be going to be built on as as he kind of grows into the team, great. If it stays right where it is now, that that could expose the team a little bit, though. Does he speak English? Uh, no, tiny bit. Okay. I just wonder about the communication issues, and and I, I realize obviously he no. he speaks Portuguese. Right. There's other guys that speak English and Spanish, and I'm just wondering yeah. how that that aspect of his uh, role in the team has changed. Sorry, I'm wrong. He doesn't speak English at all. Um, he speaks a little bit of Spanish, just where Spanish is similar to Portuguese. Brasan's been his biggest um, mouthpiece, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, although you know you've got guys like I mean obviously. Jesse fluent in Spanish. Ryan's fluent in Spanish. Reggie knows a good amount. Uh, Reto's fluent. Matt knows a good bit. You know they can they they definitely are, are effective at communicating in the sense of the game. And uh, you know uh, Brazilians definitely have a knack for picking up English. I mean Brisson's better better with his English than I am now. And a year ago he didn't speak a word. One of the things that we talked about maybe was missing from this team, not just last year, but maybe in previous years, was kind of a a lack of a uh, grab the team by the scruff of the neck and and give them a, a, a verbal tongue lashing, a, a kind of a guy out there getting angry at players when they don't make good passes. Um, you know, a true leader on this team. I don't think we've had, uh, I don't think the team has had that. Uh, we we haven't had somebody we can point to and said, that guy is leading this team. Is Santos proving out to be that person or has somebody else stepped up to fill that role so far? Well, no, it's, right now it's the same as last year with Reto doing most of the captain duties and Ryan being the cheerleader and Hedges being a quiet leader. Um, Santos definitely has the characteristics to be that guy. You know, I've seen him expressing himself, but there there is a little bit of the language uh, problem yet, and he's still not, you know, 100% dialed in with Lucci in the system yet. He's still trying to pick it up. Not that that will be obvious on the field, but there's a difference between yelling at guys when they're you're in the wrong place by three yards when you're yourself not 100% sure if you're in the right place yet. But um, he definitely has – I'm going to throw back a little bit. He definitely has some of those Daniel Hernandez tendencies, you know, kind of personality. I mean, he'll hit a guy hard in practice and not think two things of it at all, you know. So he's definitely got that hard man – uh, there's a name for it in, um, in, in the, for the Latin Americans, a slang name. I can't remember what it is. I'm going to use the phrase like bulldog, like middle of the park, like just bite and snap and just control. Uh, you know, that tenacity is in there, and I love that part so far. Now, will he translate into that leadership with the club that way? That's going to take a lot of time, you know, half a season, a whole season, who knows. But um, he has the qualities of a Daniel Hernandez in that respect. So uh, one of the things uh, I find will be the most interesting thing to try to play out over the years was what I I don't know the best way to describe it. it's probably just like the clog of the midfield and 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 there's an aspect of this which is Lucci has a great problem he's got a lot of options to choose from to play essentially three center midfield positions and then potentially at least one wing position um, and and where that falls back into is that he's got some high priced international players 
players to choose from, and he's got this, you know, well of homegrown players to choose from in Jesse and Paxton and Brandon um, and and Surio. Uh, so I'm wondering, Buzz, how do you think this is going to play out over the course of the season? How Lucci's going to solve getting everybody on the field, or what do you think will be his best mix of players ultimately? Well, I hope it means that uh, you're going to see some squad rotation in there. Um, hopefully it does not mean that he's going to have a set 11 and, and barring injuries of call-ups, you're not going to see much change. I, I think given the amount of call-ups you're going to have between the Olympics and then between the start of World Cup qualifying, you're going to have a lot of call-ups. So um, I actually think that the added addition of these players and the probably for the first time ever, Short of the number six position, strangely enough, every position on the field has got two guys that are capable of being starting level player and are challenging. Maybe right back's a little questioning, but that'll that'll solve itself as Reggie gets a bunch of calls this year. So it's actually really exciting to see a team that legitimately you don't know who's going to start at every good position. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have challenges. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. You're supposed to never know, am I in or out? I got to keep fighting. So um, if, if, if Lucci can use a little bit of rotation between call-ups and between using some of these other guys and keep his team just a little bit fresher and a little bit healthier and a little bit sharper, that's how you can make some hay in the playoffs. So um, I'm hoping it's going to be a positive and not a negative where people feel like they can't get in a groove, like I can't get three starts in a row. This is killing me, you know. So it'll, it'll be an interesting line to walk, and this is why pro coaches get paid well, not Lucci doesn't, but they get paid a million dollars. Yeah, so you know, we I keep you know reading other uh, media people's preseason predictions and league wide and players to watch out for, and the name that continuously pops up, whether they're speaking about Dallas specifically or not, is Paxton Pomacall, player that's going to have a breakout season or needs to have a breakout season. And uh, the thing that keeps I, it keeps like ringing in my head is is this idea that we're not even sure. Uh, let's just assume he's a hundred percent healthy. It's not even clear that he is a starter for this team uh, for the foreseeable future, unless he actually beats somebody out. And and I wonder where you feel like Pax is at this point. Well, right this minute, Pax has just been cleared to train. Um, so he's not game fit. He's not 90 minutes fit. Uh, if you, if you were to start him, you'd have to pull him at 50, 60 minutes, uh, this weekend. If you start him, you know, Lucci was questioning on Tuesday. He was still questioning whether Paxton would make the 18 or not for this weekend. Um, so I think it's definitely true that like right this minute today, Paxton is not a starter. He has to outperform somebody, whether it be Jesus Ferreira at the free eight or whether it be well, Brandon Acosta, Brian Acosta and Brandon Cervini are hurt. But whoever is playing the eight spot, we'll get to that later. Uh, Paxton will have to play them. But is he really an eight? I don't know. Does he can he play somebody at wing? Can he can he beat out Fafa Pico or Santi Mascara or maybe Michael Barrios? I don't know. That's what we talk about this squad rotation. Otherwise, you, Paxton is not being handed a spot. He's going to have to win a spot and take a spot, and you don't know where that's going to come. It's going to have to be determined in training and determined by his coach. Is it possible that what we may be looking at is a situation where, because of his injury and and because he's over, you know coming back from this, and it's taken some, it's probably taken longer than he hoped for. 
that what may actually transpire over a period of time is that he may end up getting some substitute minutes and then disappear for Olympic qualifying and not really get a chance to become back as a starter until after Olympic qualifying. I think that's highly likely, if not completely exactly likely. You know, it's like right now, you know, you don't even know if he's going to make the 18, let alone start. And that first call up for the Olympic team happens after the second game. So it's like, is he going to become a starter within the first two games coming off this injury? That's as good as Paxton is. That's a tall ask for anybody, even with Brian Acosta and Brandon Sylvania missing. That's a tall ask. So uh, he'll go to the Olympic team. And then how long will he be gone? It will depend on, of course, how well the U.S. does. You know, and, and he's also in line for that'll be the funny thing is if he's in line for national team call up senior team when he's not even starting here, you know, but so will Jesus be and Brian Acosta will get called to his team and Cervani could be called. So the midfield, as much as we talking about all this depth, it's like we could be scratching our head like who the hell is going to play this week between all the calls they can have at those positions. Oh, I've got the answer. Thomas Roberts. Yeah, Thomas Roberts. Yeah, it might be Thomas Roberts. It might, it might be Tanner Testman a lot. Put a pin in Tanner Tessman. We'll yeah, talk we'll come back that. to that one. We'll come yeah. back to that in a second. All right, so I want to I want to move a little bit uh, north of that, and I I was reading a neat fan blog today with predictions, and all of the fans of the club were making predictions about Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that, breakout MVP, uh, next big superstar kind of. Uh, running theme I've always run you know I've talked about this multiple times I've been a little hot and cold on Jesus because I fear Jesus uh, falls into that weird Jason Christ problem of being a tweener is he a attacking midfielder is he a striker what is he and, and, and is he really particularly good at any one of those things meaning a real game changer in those places Dan I'm wondering from you have you seen anything out of Jesus uh, uh, in this preseason that really leads you to believe that, yeah, Peter, no, you big idiot, he really is a star that's about to burst onto the scene. Well, I mean, with the national team camp, I uh, haven't seen a, a, a lot of him, period. Um, it, it's always tough, uh, you know, with, with uh, fan blogs and stuff like that because it's all, it, it's all, uh, it's, it's buzzwords. It's, uh, but, you know, it's all Paxton and Cobra and Jesus because they're just, they're the names you hear about. They're the names that are kind of built up. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like how, uh, you know, Reggie probably didn't get that treatment because he didn't play a particularly attractive position. Uh, with Jesus, I mean, you know, I'm always going to say his, his strength is probably more as, as the nine than the, than the uh, false nine, not quite a 10, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, but but Lucci loves those breaking runs he makes between lines, um, and you know the, the problem is going to be if he doesn't adapt to one position or the other. Like you say, he's he's going to he's going to be a tweener, and he's not necessarily going to break out in either case. He's not going to be the prolific scorer or the prolific assister. He's just going to be the guy who makes the runs that draw the defenders away while everyone else kind of gets the stats. Buzz, by the end of the season, how what uh, what's the best way to ask this question? By the end of the 2020 season, where do you think we're going to grade Jesus Ferreira's uh, performance? I think he's going to have a, uh, a season that will be in the quality of an MVP for the team, but because of the amount of call-ups he's going to have, he won't play in enough games that you'll be able to say, that's the guy. Uh, because also 
because of where he's going to play for the FC Dallas, which is going to be back in that free eight role, essentially, as we call it. Um, he's not going to score as much this year as he did last year. So uh, when you combine that position change with the amount of cops he's going to have, he won't get the pretty sexy stats and he won't be there. He's not going to start 30 something games. He's only going to start 24 games. So um, the quality of play, I think is going to be there. I actually think he's made a transitional leap, uh, but he won't be a candidate for, he won't be an official candidate for MVP, if that makes sense, because of the missing time he's going to miss. Uh, it'll be somebody that's going to be here a lot, like Barrios, who doesn't get called up ever. Well, just yeah. jumping on that, even with the national team call-ups, you know, one of the big things, and I know like fans probably don't don't see it quite so much, but players really get screwed up going to and from national team, going to Greg Berhalter's system and working as a nine, then coming back and trying to get that mindset for Lucci ball and, and dropping back as a free eight. It, it does take a few... It takes a week or two either side. Well, yeah. don't, don't forget, a national team call-up and a Gold Cup appearance essentially uh, was the start of the downhill ruin of Kellen Acosta's career uh, and essentially put the brakes on Matt Hedges' season the year they got called up for that Gold Cup. And you remember that? I thought you were talking about Reggie for a second. Then. <laughs> no, no, no. Because it wasn't a million miles away from that, too. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, Oscar Perea used to get really upset when guys would go because he said it would take him, it would take him, Oscar, two weeks to get the player back into his system and playing with the way he wanted him to play after they would get back from camp. Even if like Barrelter's system is similar, even in that case, because you're going to change positions, or like with Reggie, when it's like Barrelter wants him to do that midfield conversion thing, it's like trying to get him back into being a Lucci wing is like it's it's different. You know, it's not easy. I remember Javon Watson told me when he was here, he turned down a call-up to go play in Japan or Korea with, with Jamaica. He's like, makes no sense. I'm on a flight for 24 hours. My body shattered. I have to adjust to playing as a striker or a right winger or whatever. Come back another 24 hours. Then I've got to spend two weeks going back to being a right back. How am I effective with my club side then? How am I even effective with with my with my country if I can't? get in that in that mindset quickly yeah uh, i you know i'm i wanted to actually we should probably just go ahead and ask the question now has anybody put pen to paper and figured out now that we actually know what the call-ups are for the the qualifiers uh, which were the four players i think we expected with reggie uh brandon paxton and jesus which was announced this week do we have any idea at least initially how much how many games those guys are going to miss uh so far this season even assuming don't even count if they qualify for the olympics uh, no, I, I have not. Uh, and that actually is probably something we should do, actually, now that you say that, because between qualification for the Olympics, making the Olympics and World Cup qualifying right around the corner, you know, and that and that's for multiple guys and just Americans, too. It'll be a big question. Yeah. Uh, you know, Buzz, there's something you said a second ago about depth at every position. And you said if you were to, you know, one guy goes down, there's somebody ready to go that you feel is of good quality. But the one position that I that I I'm. I can't think of the answer. Uh, what happens if Michael Barrios gets injured long-term? Oh, well, that's not a problem. Um, well, I guess it depends on how, what you think of Santiago Mascara. Because Fafa can play on the right. Fafa can play on the right if he needs to. Um, 
so that's not a huge issue. And so could Paxson, and so could Jesus if you needed to. Tuomasi as well. Uh, yeah, Emma Tuomasi could. I mean, arguably, not arguably, Dante Sealy can too. And I actually expect Dante to make his break in this season. There's not a clear cut like this will be the guy answer to that, but there's six different dudes that could be the answer to that position. So, I, I mean, obviously, if you use Barros, he's a great player. That's going to be an impact no matter what because you're not going to get the same kind of output. But um, it's not a panic in terms of, like, there is no clear-cut thing because Barros is an Iron Man and plays every game. Where are we feeling on the back line um, in terms of, uh, you know, depth? Uh, do we, f- you know, that we, we talked last week about the Reggie Cannon piece of this, which is if Reggie sold off in, in the summer, um, you know, who is going to uh, fill his spot naturally and how, but how many opportunities are they going to get? We talked about that last week. Uh, do we really feel like we have a real solution with Brisson at center back? Buzz, where, where are, where's your brain and feelings about the back, about the defense at this point? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super convinced about Brisson. Um, the fact that, you know, Reto's 34 and Brisson hasn't really challenged him to take that spot makes me worry a little bit. I don't, I don't like the way um, Brisson moves. He looks a little stiff to me. So I, I am a little worried about that position. Um, balancing that, I'm actually really excited about um, uh, Callum Montgomery and the progress he's making. Uh, he's made a big jump to my eyes from last year to this year. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm actually confident or not confident. I'm actually feeling right now that there's a good chance that he could move past Brisson in the pecking order by the end of the season, um, because of the progress I'm seeing him make and because of, um, his work rate and his effort and, and, and the teachability that he's showing. Um, so there's a balance there to give and take. Neither one of them is ready to really challenge, but, you know, hopefully you're talking about just playing a few games and filling in and not actually having to take over. I mean, if somebody gets, if, you know, if you lose a starting player in MLS, uh, you're not going to be, have a lot of luck filling them in. Um, particularly, you know, somebody like if you were to lose the hedges, I mean, that's going to be a huge blow. I mean, he's by far the best defender they have. So, um, hope everybody stays healthy. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So let's move to the, uh, back end of the team. We haven't, we've spent almost no time this preseason talking about Jesse, um, I'll let either one of you grab this. Where where is Jesse on his career path and his growth and um, and maturity improvements or whatever you want to call it? Um, how are we feeling about Jesse's upcoming season? Well, I like the the slow progress he's making in terms of um, game reading. I like the slow progress and it is slow in decision making. Uh, he is twenty four though, so like uh, you know, goalkeepers don't peak until. 2930 even so he's five years from being at his peak and still has a lot of time to improve and get better um obviously his shot stopping and his athleticism are at the top of the league his and his his feet are one of the best feet uh possession wise percentage passing wise in mls for keepers so really it's just a question of uh how much progression can he make in the decision making and how much maturity he can make in the decision making and, and the direction is the correct things are getting better Every season it's been better, so I'm hopeful there'll be another hopeful. Excuse me, there'll be another step forward, because um, that's the thing that's keeping him from being the legit U.S. candidate, and the thing that's keeping him from being worth crap tons of money and being bought by some big huge club is the the mental side, and you know he's still got plenty of time for that to happen in terms of the peak of his career. Yeah, I have one. You know, you made a pretty significant decision. 
that was a surprise to many people when he kind of uh, absconded from the Mexican national team to, to join the U.S. team because it appeared that he was the hot new flavor uh, for the U.S. Uh, in the pipes and the next big thing. And, and that seems to have evaporated uh, in the last couple of years. And, and, and you guys see him. Is there any sense that that's affected him positively or negatively? And, uh, you know, that the next set of call-ups are just around the corner for him? I was going to say, I don't really think so. When you when you speak to him about national team prospects, he's kind of just, you know, on, on point with saying, nah, I'm just focusing on, on what's here and whatever else is a bonus. When you think about the... Uh, the, the habit of the Mexican national team with goalkeepers is they they stack all the William Yarbrough's and and whoever else and they just they don't they don't do anything until they're in their thirties or they just kind of cycle out. At least uh, you know Jesse has the chance to to contend in the meantime, which which he wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, unfortunately, you know with those tug of wars, uh, you know most of the time it is a case of the, the hot thing and and then it it goes cold and sits there for a few weeks uh, a few years sorry and uh jimmy mauer looks to be our solid backup in in the waiting yeah i mean mauer is still you know an mls capable starting level keeper i mean it's a real luxury to have two guys that are that good i mean i don't mauer wouldn't be an all-star but you know if you were a team that needed a quality starting keeper he's certainly good enough um the, the biggest question about FC Dallas keepers, and when you include Zobeck in this, is that Jesse's 24, that's fine, but both your other guys are 30-ish. So it's like you need to look at some at some point, somebody else needs to come through the system probably and challenge one or two of those guys. Um, otherwise, the progress Zobeck has made since he came here has been phenomenal too. He's even starting to challenge Maurer in terms of his shot-stopping and saving ability. I mean, Jimmy's got so yeah. much more experience it's not likely he'll pass him, but um, you know you saw Zobek's performance in the USL One Championship, and uh, you know in pure game saving, stopping ability, that kid's come light years. It's amazing. All right, so uh, Buzz, I think I'm reading between the lines from you on Twitter as of yesterday, which would be Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday night. Um, it, are we anticipating, based on what I read from you on Twitter and based on the outstanding reporting from uh, Dan that we talked about spotting the uh, assignment of the first-team equipment and shoes and, and boots, uh, that that Tanner Tessman is soon to be announced as a homegrown signing? Yes. Yeah. Um, Lucci said on Tuesday that they were close. You know, I made a little gesture, like, you know, tiny little gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that night and then again this morning, I heard from somebody else that it's done. So um, I actually am assuming by the time this gets edited and posted and by the time somebody actually listens to it, that that might actually be announced and done. Um, I, I'm not going to report it 100 percent because I don't have that first uh, source like Lucci didn't tell me. You know what I mean? So um, but I'm, I'm as convinced and as many sources as I can get. <laughs> short of Tanner himself telling me that it's done and he'll be announced this week. And not only that, there's a 75% chance that Tanner is starting opening day in midfield. Two exclusives. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. Walk me through how that's going to happen or why that happens. Well, here's the thing. Uh, If you, if you're playing Lucci ball, which is a four, three, three, or some version of four, two, three, one, whatever you want to call it, right. There's three midfielders. Jesus is one of them. 
Tiago Santos is the sixth. He's the other one. So then it's your options are Brandon Cervini and Brian Acosta are hurt. Paxton has just been cleared to train and is not maybe available to play yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Roberts is a 10 and not an eight. Um, who else? Yeah. Oh, Edwin Cerrillo is a six. They tried him as an eight and it's, uh, they tried um, Johnny Nelson played two games and even started a couple of games as, as a six, eight typish kind of thing. And it was okay, but again, not great. And then Tanner started the final um, two games at the eight position in Florida. So the games that were locked out and you know, information was supposed to get out. We know Tanner started. So, uh, and he worked when I saw him on Tuesday, he was working in combination with Thiago Santos most of the time. So I think there's an 80% chance, 75% chance that if he signs, which he's gonna, that he's starting this weekend. All right. So I, I, I'm probably covering uh, uh, already known ground for anybody. I mean, if you're a big enough nerd of the team to listen to this podcast, I'm going to assume you have some sort of a, a, a more than just a cursory knowledge of who and what Tanner Tessman is. Who, by the way, I've decided I'm going to call him the new Manster. That's my new nickname for him. <laughs> a good one. Um, because if you have, if you haven't seen Did Tanner, you just and, call him a hamster. No, the no, Manster, Manster. The Manster, and, and that's a reference for people that grew up in the '70s here in uh, Dallas Cowboy uh, Doomsday Defense. Because mm. he is a massive human being. In and I and by that I don't mean like um, Andre the Giant. I mean more like. Um, uh, Vanderla and Vander Esch, the linebacker for the Cowboys, uh, he he has a linebacker build to him. And what is he six four, six three? Yeah, yeah, six three. He's just a huge human being. Yet he, in many ways, um, correct me if I'm wrong. If either one of you think I'm wrong, he almost is an interesting answer to that cliche question: What if our best athletes chose soccer? Yeah, he is. You remember Dabo Sweeney said he's one of the best athletes he's ever seen. And said that he could start at wide receiver for me if he wanted to. He could play, you know, uh, forward for the basketball team if he wanted to. You know, he's that level of athlete. Said he's one of the fastest guys he's ever seen. All right. So, you know, it, so Buzz or Dan, whoever yeah. wants to do this, why don't you give everybody listening for ha- who have not yet seen him actually play or maybe only seen a few highlights, why don't you give kind of a, a scouting report on Tanner and why everybody's so excited about him? Okay, well, aside from being 6'3 and big and physical, he used to be a number 10 type um, playmaker in the academy. And over the last two years, they've transitioned him back to where he's an eight, which is his more, for me, his more natural position because uh, he does have really strong defensive qualities and can pick up balls and tackle and checks back. I mean, they've even used him as a center back. I've literally seen him play every position on the field except keeper for the academy. Uh, he's got great passing vision. He's uh, notable for his trademark 50-yard cross-field bomb passes that are on a rope right to somebody's feet on the break. Um, he's got good vision. He's good on the ball. He can. He's a big game player in big moments, and he can score goals from like 30 yards out with shooting from that range. So now, granted, we're talking about a kid who's an academy player and a kid who's been with North Texas, so it's not like he's going to walk into the MLS team and be an MVP-level player, but you're talking about a kid at 18 years of age has already been – the MVP of the DA Academy. He's already played and started a bunch of games for North Texas while he was 18 years old. So, um, you know, this is the kind of quality player that has huge upside and huge potential. Um, and if you want to try, if you want to go old school MLS, you have to think back some of the bigger, deeper playmaker type players like a like a Matt McEwen maybe or like a Mike Sorber back in the old USA days. That kind of deep lying, 
um, playmaking eight. That's that's kind of his style. Is he good in the air with his head? Because I that at that yes. size, I got to think he's going to be awesome on set pieces. Yeah, he scores goals on headers too, and defensively too in the box. He can mark up one on one with like a big tall striker if you need him to. You know, he's at at six three and a physical, big, huge, physical, athletic man child. You know, he's definitely got that component too. I'm super excited about him, as you can obviously tell. Um, with the caveat that he is just 18, so you got to give him time to get into the game. But the fact that they're even thinking about starting him this weekend ought to tell you something. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the other part of this that we just we got into a little bit. Uh, either last week or the week before is everybody should not forget that he's signing this deal in lieu of accepting a two sports scholarship to Clemson. And that is significant in, uh, in a lot of ways because one of the sports was not soccer, right? It was kicking for the football team. And that's not a shabby football team, by the way. Um, and two, the, the financial value of that and the idea that we're in a, at, at kind of a, uh, a moment in the growth of the sport in our country where there are kids that are Tanner Tessmans of the world that are bypassing the university course or the college path uh, to sign professional deals in this situation, which is something that just simply didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so if ever, you know, if you're ever looking for that bright, shiny silver lining to what's been going on over the last few years, uh, Tanner is a real good example of that. Yeah, you know, he, this is a guy who's passing up a chance to play for the dude he calls Uncle Bo. I mean, this is a personal relationship that he apparently is passing up to uh, to sign this deal. And, and there's significant progress on his part because a year ago, six months ago, you know, the club wasn't ready to make this kind of commitment to him. It's the play he showed with North Texas and, and over the academy since last summer, basically, you know, that's shown – the, the progression that he's ready and then to give him enough money to make this deal happen. Cause North Texas clearly wasn't enough money. Right. Well, I mean, he's also passing up the potential of two, you know, two realistic national championships in different sports to, to do it as well. Well, if he, and if he's as good at kicking the football uh, between goalposts as, as the, the legend now is growing, he's probably yeah. passing up a multi-million dollar NFL career uh, that would have been probably a lot easier on his body than soccer and or anything else. So um, since you've already started down this path in terms of starting 11 and broken that crazy news, uh, or at yeah. least your prediction of that, let's walk through what you think the rest of the starting 11 will be this weekend. Well, it doesn't look like whatever we thought was going to happen with Cobra is going to happen because he worked as a starter on Tuesday. Um, so they're either pushing that off or he's decided not to – whatever it was, uh, it doesn't look like it's happening. Um, right now, Fafa Pico is the number one choice at left wing, but Santi did come off the bench and score. We've talked before about how Scott, Santi might be a great off-the-bench guy, though, could come in and be a threat that way. So I think the job's Fafa Pico is, as long as he wants it. Barrios on the right's no-brainer. Jesus is entrenched at that – free eight ten spot um as i said it might actually be tanner testament on saturday as the linking eight unless maybe if paxton is cleared in time he could do it but paxton's not a great linking eight uh and, may, and neither is evan cerio neither is johnny nelson so one of those four guys will be your eight i think it's a pretty good chance it's testman Thiago Santos is a no-brainer at the six, the way he's playing even if you had somebody else that was as you know or as ready and you don't he's a block um, Reggie's a lock. Matt Hedges is the, the only question is Matt Hedges because Hedges hasn't played like a full game since he came back from being hurt. Um, will they stick with Brisson or will they go back to Hedges? Hedges is so good. I don't know if you can't not put Hedges in there. So that's a coin flip. Hedges, Brisson, 
then Ziegler and Hollingshead is fine, and Jesse Gonzalez is fine. Is there any uh, idea that the solution for the eight is instead of playing uh, with a six, eight, ten, and playing with two sixes and Jesus in front of them? Yeah, that's kind of what they do when Johnny Nelson's in there. Uh, he plays deeper as a double six kind of. Well, couldn't they do that? Has, with, couldn't they do that with Cerillo and Santos together side they, by side? Yeah, they could. When they tried both those options, that was the look. Was that the guy played deeper and tried to implement a little bit of the eight? But it, it's more of a obviously a four-two-three-one at that point. Um, it's just not. It's not the same as what they would like to do the whole season, which is the four-three-three. Whereas Tanner can actually do that versus. The other ones is kind of a tactical change. So certainly if one of those guys goes, it's much more like a double pivot than a single pivot. Okay. Hmm. And don't discount the three, five, two. They worked on it uh, two or three games in spring and they even used it against Philly, you know, a week and a half ago. So that's theoretically an option too. I don't think it's likely, but it is an option. Do we have, Oh, we should probably talk about this real quickly because you mentioned it earlier and I forgot to throw it in there. You mentioned, we know Pax's situation. What is Brian Acosta and Brandon Cervania's injury situations? Because I don't think we really updated very well on that. Sure. If, uh, if you read the practice report from Tuesday, uh, they're both on a somewhere between two to three week window. Lucci said that, that, that maybe one of them could be back by Montreal, but he's expecting that both of them will be back and training after the Montreal game, uh, which is good timing because that's when he's going to lose a couple guys for the Olympics. So that's the window is during the week after the Montreal game on both those guys. So anything else about, uh, you know, getting into the season that you guys want to touch on before we uh, get into off-field uh, commentary and, and topics and predictions? No, I think I think that's it in terms of uh, off-field, on-field news. Right. I can't think of anything. Dan, any any kick-ass kit information or insider news you can break for us? Like, are they going with the red shorts, the white shorts for the home game? Do we know? Uh, I predict that they're going to go with uh, some shorts that that <laughs> complement the jersey in some way, um, and socks too. Socks are important. Uh, actually, if if a player doesn't wear socks, they get a yellow card and a fine. So, right. very important. All right. So so they will be wearing shorts. All right. Awesome. I got one small thing. Yeah. Uh, Emma Tuomasi is going to go on loan to the Austin Bold again, but it'll be with a right of recall. So I think he'll go back and forth a lot. Okay. All right. I still don't know. Confirmed that today. I don't know if I've ever actually seen him play soccer, so I have no idea how good he is. <laughs> um, I'll just I'll, I'll lean on you. Sure. All right. So let's talk about some of the off-field stuff going on. I was going back and looking. Um, and, and not to beat a dead horse about attendance issues. We all know that the club has attendance issues, but one of the weird odd oddities is, is that I don't think FC Dallas has ever officially been able to deem a sellout on an opening day game. Um, there were a couple of years, uh, there was one, I think 2018 was close, but that was an odd year because that was the year that the, there was reduced capacity at the stadium. Um, and they had 16,000 and that was about as many as they could put in. So I guess you could call that a sellout with an asterisk, uh, back in 2011 and 2012, they had, they, they reported just a little North of 20,000, but back then I don't think I'm incorrect in saying the max attendance of the stadium pre reconstruction was tw- actually 21 or 22,000. Does it either want to remember that? Yeah. 22. Yeah, so, so neither so while those were great crowds, neither one of them were sellouts. 
And so I'm the, the gist of all this is is that one of the oddities of about this is that for the beginning of the season it's always generally great weather there's not a lot else going on the, the it's you'd think if there was a time the club would be able to you know produce sellouts this would be it yet they've never really seemed to be able to do it and I certainly don't have any sense or vibe that it's going to be a huge crowd Saturday night. Uh, you know, have you guys heard anything about uh, you know what you guys are expecting to see in terms of turnout? I mean, there's definitely uh, a lot of tickets still on sale on the uh, Access website. So, mm, obviously, you know that the other marketing materials. Um, uh, are talking about limited tickets. Limited tickets is always the code word for we have a shed load of them left. But if we tell you. There aren't many left. We hope you'll just buy them anyway. I heard Dan Hunt talking the other day about that their new um, little 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 make your own ticket pack was quote selling like gangbusters, but um, I don't have any reason to believe that. Well, they're, that's it's only gonna... for three tickets. So I mean, it's not no, a whole season. No, I know, but um, you know, it sounded like they were thinking it was really successful. So I, I you know, I, other than Dan's raging optimism i don't expect any more likely to be a sellout on opening day to this weekend than any other season in the past you know but, i'd be if it's 18 i'd be ex- really excited by that that would be awesome buzz i've never been accused of having raging optimism before <laughs> sorry dan hunt <laughs> my bad <laughs> somebody the other day was like man i can't i didn't know that dan was a Luton fan and i'm like dan hunt's a losing man what are you talking about and they're like oh dan crack i was like oh yeah. my dan yeah. <laughs> Your baby yeah. Dan, yes. Yeah. The reason why I bring this up is is that um, uh, Clark Hunt did a, me- a media day uh, several days ago, or how, yeah, Friday, I guess it was. And um, I was, uh, you guys shared some audio with me, and somebody I don't know who it is, and I apologize that I can't give him credit for asking this question. Uh, point blank, just brought up <laughs> the uh, now famous. Uh, Mexican stars ticket package tweet that got recalled and created that entire shit storm online uh, and then directly asked Clark about, you know, um, about Me- would the club ever uh, get into the idea or they restricted against or against the idea of buying a big dollar Mexican star. And I, I just want to play this audio re- real quick and uh, and get everybody's reaction. We, we welcome fans, you know, regardless of their background. And we do have a significant Hispanic fan base that comes to our game. Approximately a third of our fan base is, is Hispanic. Uh, you're right when the Mexican Mexican national team or Club America comes to town, they, they do garner big, big crowds. That's really a byproduct of the fans who, who live in Dallas having cheered on those teams in many cases for decades. Uh, their families have been uh, fans of the Mexican national team, fans of Club America, and so it makes sense that they, they get support. It's, it's our job to, to convince the fans, the people who have grown up in Dallas, that they want to be fans of FC Dallas. But how are you going to go about doing that? Uh, it, it's really about about building a competitive team on the field. Um, I, I think that's a big part of how you build a fan base. Uh, over the last decade, we have been one of the most competitive teams in the league. Uh, we've made the playoffs uh, almost every year over the last five or six years. Uh, we need to go ahead and get it over the top and win a championship, and I think that'll play a key role. You don't think marketing has anything uh, that to bring the fans in? Uh, uh, absolutely, and, and we do market uh, uh, extensively through throughout the Metroplex. Uh, but again, I would go back to saying there's really no silver bullet from a marketing standpoint. You've got to build fans one, one fan at a time. 
I think that is a the, the clearest indication and confirmation to what you and I, uh, Buzz, and I believe Dan, have long held belief as to the the business theory behind the Hunt Sports Group, which is build it and they will come. Yeah, that's what we've talked about for years is look at the way they operate the Chiefs, which was Lamar came into the league at the beginning, or the NFL beginning. You know, we know that it was around long before that. But, you know, the Super Bowl era, and it became this humongous, gigantic, massive thing. And that's essentially the way the hunts are operating. And you know that because they've said things and indicated things that indicated their number one priority is the survival of the franchise. And that's the thing they care about the most. And the idea is that when the league becomes this big, huge, massive worldwide thing, that their franchise will have been carried along with all the rest. So that's the way they work. And that's when you look at any decision they make, that's the way to look at it is don't look at like they're thinking I'm going to buy 10 MLS cups. They're thinking I want this franchise to last a hundred years and then it'll be worth $2 billion. Well, even earlier in that, that same um, little uh, scrum, you know, that somebody asked them about the, the, the standing of, of MLS, uh, the relevancy, sorry. Um, you know, and, and he reeled off a bunch of stuff about Seattle, Atlanta and LAFC. Um, to the point where the person who asked the question went, yeah, but what about FC Dallas? And then he just kind of like circled back around. It is, it is exactly what you say. It's, you know, if we build it, they will come. But if we build it, they will come when these other teams that are doing the work for us come along and we get the residual income. Well, I, I think in the quote, what's really interesting is, is that the, the guy asks him about signing Mexican superstars and Clark's response was, uh, quote, there is not a level we're not comfortable with. We'll do whatever it takes to win a championship at FC Dallas. And what I would have liked to have asked Clark in response to that is, is, well, if you'll do whatever, then why didn't you pay the transfer fee to get Hara here for the start of the season? Now, I know the answer to that question, which is, well, it would be stupid to pay five million dollars to have a guy for, you know, for five months. And I don't fundamentally disagree with that. But that also then is in conflict with what he just said, because that would be doing whatever it takes to win a championship. Yeah. So would Funes Mori or Chicharito. Well, yeah, but at least okay, but those, but you have to at some point. Some of these things just aren't realistic at all for for the Hunts, sure. right? Like spending twelve million dollars to get Funes Mori's here would is just never no. going to happen. But the idea of like trying to negotiate a deal where you spend three, four, even five million dollars to get the guy now, so that you can have him uh, for an entire season doesn't seem like that big of an ask especially when you see somebody like sporting kansas city going out and spending 10 million dollars for the best striker from liga mx well not to be all defensive on their part but um they did try and get him a couple of years ago and the other side of the coin is that pachuca has to be willing to sell him you know they don't have a whole lot going on right now other than him mm-hmm. and so the, what andre zanata told me last time i talked to him was they're not interested and let him go early. Ah, okay. So they don't they don't care. You know, they don't need the money. They don't need three million dollars. They need a player. Hmm. So you know, I, I think that if, even if they wanted to, which of course they wouldn't, because they're not going to pay five million dollars for five months of play. You know, and we've all seen before in this league that the first half of the season doesn't matter. Right. So now, of course, 
Dallas has not done a good job with that. That's a totally different argument. That's a different discussion. But, but you know, I, I don't blame him on this one. I don't. I, this is, yeah, this no, one I, I, like I, I'm saying, I'm not, I'm, I don't hold, I don't fault them for not spending the money. I don't think that would have been uh, a good business decision. If, if I have a criticism of it, it's that they seem to focus in on one guy that they could get on a free when they live in an entire planet filled with strikers of, of a similar quality. They probably couldn't have gotten access to if they had just looked a little yeah. harder. It, well, it's just my opinion. Yeah. They fell in love with this guy when he scorched him in the champions league two, two years ago, whenever that was, you know, for the longest time, uh, buzz. And I don't remember if you came up with this analogy or I did, or somebody else did, but for a really long time, we, whenever somebody asks, uh, you know, what to expect from FC Dallas, in terms of ownership or as an operation, we've always had this kind of clever answer of FC Dallas is to MLS what the Kansas City Chiefs are to the NFL. And considering that now within the last month, uh, the Chiefs are the reigning Super Bowl champions, that doesn't seem like such a bad place to be until you realize it took the Hunts 50 years to get there. Yeah, they got their second one. Well, I, I had hoped that um, the lesson they would take away was that it takes truly special player, uh, Pat Mahomes, to get you over the top. And I think they did take that lesson, but they didn't take it as you can go get one. They took it as in the NFL, you have to draft one. Well, in this league, you don't draft them. You make, you can make them from your academy. So they took that lesson to heart of, it's the young kid that we're going to bring up for our academy that's going to carry us to the Super Bowl or, sorry, MLS Cup. So I think it's even more entrenched now that they believe this is the way. I'm not sure they took that lesson at all. Um, there was another quote in that where he says, um, you know, oh, you know, you build a fan base by winning championships and, you know, know a thing or two about winning a championship and the effect it has. And then goes on to say, well, Made MLS Cup in 2010 and lost that. And oh, no. so close in 2016. So, you know, like we're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it, there is a, a you know, uh, a weird mix of uh, double speak and um, spin that comes from either Dan or Clark when it comes to this. Uh, my concern is is that you could say you could continue to run with the analogy that they are the chiefs of Major League Soccer because in my mind, I have no doubt that if they just continue the course of trying to be the finest academy uh, and and their new seemingly uh, weird desire to be the center focal point of filling the U.S. men's national team with players, that seems to be priority number one for them these days. Um, that eventually the stars will align just so right for one season and they will finally win the MLS Cup. Now, whether or not that happens in my lifetime, I honestly can't tell you that will happen. Probably, but maybe only once. Like, I have no idea if the Chiefs are going to be good enough to win the Super Bowl again next year, specifically with all the changes in in how the uh, salaries and stuff happen and teams go up and down. But... um, I, so I, you know, as weird as it may say feel to say that they are the Chiefs of MLS, uh, I still think that probably isn't a very bad analogy. Yeah, I I think that with the current with the the Paxton, Jesus, Reggie, Brandon group, somewhere in the next four seasons, you're going to have a shot to get one one MLS Cup, and that's kind of the way they're operating. Is they want to constantly be competitive 
and then every once in a while you get a shot at one. They're not going to be Atlanta or LAFC that wants to be in it every single year and spend the money to be in it every single year. So 100%, they're definitely the Chiefs of MLS. It's no question that's what they are. Hmm. Well, you know, we, we we started this section by talking about the build it and they will come mentality. And in the quotes uh, and in the audio, he talks about building one fan at a time. And, um, and somewhere else in there, I don't think we played that part of the audio where – uh, he's asked about marketing, and Clark's contention is is they do extensive marketing throughout uh, the <laughs> Dallas-Fort Worth area. And again, I guess that's a function of semantics. Maybe for Dan and Clark, they do a lot of that. Uh, but, I, you know, if, if I had one, you know, we've talked a lot about predictions for what's going to happen on the field. But off the field, I have this really weird sense that if if there's going to be a season where uh, attendance issues and atmosphere in the stadium is really going to become a major uh, talking point, maybe louder than ever before, for some reason, based on just kind of vibe I get from people who have given up their season tickets or have talked about the fact that they're mad that now if they go to the game they have to pay to park or the increase in fees or whatever, I just have this really weird sense going on that – they may fall back towards the bottom of the league in attendance again, and that's going to be a real sticking point through the season that Dan and Clark are going to have to face it, uh, uh, you know, come November. Well, I don't know about Dan, but that's I, I think you, I feel like you might be right, but that almost shocks me because I'm actually more excited than I've been in a long time because of these local kids coming through. I mean, I'm that story speaks to me way more than what they've had recently. I mean, as much as Oscar was great, you know, it's the kids that are local that fire me up, you know? So I, maybe I'm weird. That's entirely possible. Well, but I think we're not most people. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's the fair. Thing. And, have, and I think we talked about this, you know, several years ago when the concept of them really marrying into this idea of being powered by its, by their own fruit was, well, is that something that will fill the stadium 16 times a year? And and I and I think that's the point I'm trying to make is I think this is the year we find out if that's a viable business model from a season ticket sales or ticket selling standpoint. Yeah, you may be right. Because the, the one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot was the year that they, you know, the, the vaunted 2016 season. Um uh, when they, you know, won the double, everybody tends to forget they were at the bottom of the attendance that year, and they were again the year following that. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. That's a good question. I really don't know what the answer is, honestly. I mean, if I knew what the answer was, I I would have a meeting with them and fix it for them. But I, I really don't. Mexican superstars. Yeah, Mexican superstars. Fixed. Fixed. <laughs> Uh, you you say that but um, you know one thing that that we've spoken about a lot is how they don't engage the Spanish speaking audience in a in a a metropolitan area that has what 40 something percent of people are are Spanish speakers you know to to now I know we'll get to that hashtag stuff but to now a few days later after MLS has prodded them a bunch of times, say, fine, we'll go with Somos FCD. Fine, do it. Just get it done. And not having the bilingual content. Um, yeah, one of the other parts of that was uh, was actually, um, that audio was about the Hispanic uh, crowd. And, and Clark boldly states that a third of the FC Dallas fan base is Hispanic. Well, not a third of the people that are at the games because 
I mean, you could say FCD so white, if to use an Oscars reference. It's it's a lot of, you know, aside from the the beer garden and and some of the East Stand, it's it's a lot of white suburban families. It's that doesn't relate to it doesn't necessarily correlate with with what uh, Clark's uh, stated in that third of of the FC Dallas fan base. And we know the reasons why. We've spoken about it enough yeah, times. Yeah, and just to clarify a couple of things Dan said, because I don't think the audio had all of that in it, is you know Dan uh, Clark in the in the quote talks, or at least makes the contention that, what, 30% of their fan base is Hispanic? Is that what he said? Uh, I think his exact phrase was one-third. One-third, okay. Uh, and the other thing was is that uh, earlier in the week, uh, MLS Soccer put out a bunch of new hashtags for the league. Each team got a hashtag. Many of them got two, an English and a Spanish. At the time they launched it, FC Dallas inexplicably didn't have a Spanish hashtag. Uh, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I think earlier today, they finally came up with one, which is hashtag Somos FCD, which I believe translated means together FCD. Which I think it's We Are FCD. Oh, we Are, okay. Which ties in perfectly with the We Are FC Dallas line. And, yeah. and it was what was on the sides of the beer garden for the first few years. Um, so, uh, I, I, again, I don't mean to be a downer about all this. I guess the, the reason why I bring it all up is, is that we're really now deep into this kind of business model in, in, in theory of constructing a roster largely made out of its own fruit. And if 2020 is really going to stand for something, when we look back on it, come November or December, it, it just in terms of simply off the field is, does the Metroplex largely care uh, about a team made up from kids that may be their next door neighbor or not. Buzz, you care about that. I care about yeah. it. Uh, I know my I know my partner on the radio show, Andy, really cares about that. But I I just don't know if the general soccer fan in the Dallas Fort Worth area really cares about it. And I I guess I think that to may be care the one about thing it, you have to already care about FC Dallas, right? So the onus has got to be: How do you get people to care about FC Dallas to in turn care about? Paxton and Reggie and Brandon and Jesus. And isn't that isn't that the real issue, which is the Hunts now have owned this team for 15-plus years and done such a really minimalistic job of building the brand and and creating uh, community relations and, and connecting with the soccer community uh, that when they get to the point where they are a team made up of local homegrown fruit – nobody really cares about, you know, not a significant number of people really care about it. And I think that's really the biggest failure um, is that they've kind of ended up going with this really romantic, honorable model of running a soccer team, but they've done such a terrible job at all the other stuff. Nobody's really left around to care about it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think that's a good read on the situation though, but I, I wish it wasn't the case. Because as to say, it's a great story. I wish I wish it could be sold better, but you know. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I what I'm worried about are the people that are listening to this podcast aren't any of those people. Like the people listening to this that will take the time to listen to this very uh, niche content are the people that care about that stuff. So I don't want to dwell about it too much and bum everybody out. But I, you know, we all want a beautiful atmosphere in the stadium. I just I think that's when we look back at the end of 2020, that's going to be one of the real storylines, I think, that we end up having a conversation about. Yeah, I think you're right. I hope you're wrong. 
<laughs> but I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get to uh, the thing everybody's waiting for. Predictions. Predictions. Everybody loves a prediction. We're going to predict. Uh, well, let's start off with who do you think will be the uh, club's high scorer for the season? I'll start with Dan. Dan, who's going to score the most goals, which is a big objective in the sport of soccer? Well, bollocks, I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, I'm going to go a little outside the box and say uh, Fafa Pico. I think the attacking options maybe don't get uh, a lot of consistent time with international call-ups, and he just manages to sneak in there. Hmm, interesting. Um, I am going to blow everybody away, and I'm going to predict it's going to be Cobra. But I'm going to tell you that he's going to score, lead the team with nine goals. All scored at home. I don't. I didn't say that. Buzz, who's going to lead the team in goals? Cobra. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Is, is he going to break the vaunted ten goal barrier? Yeah. Is he got, related to that Garden Snake guy? Garden Snake. The Garden Snake is going to Snake Pliskin now. He's gone all the way past Cobra to Snake Pliskin. Um. <laughs> I think before uh, Franco Jara gets here that, that Cobra is going to be so determined to keep his job that he's going to be doing the business. And I think he actually scores 15 goals this year. I know that's crazy, but I, uh, if you want to go into why, I will. Do but, we drug test? Yeah. It's the Florida sun. It's the Florida sun. I, I will tell you this. I'm fairly certain there is going to be an incident, a moment, uh, in the course of the season involving specifically Cobra that is going to force me to fall in love with him. And I will have done a complete 180 on the dude. I just have a feeling yeah. something's going to happen. I don't know what it is. I don't yeah. know if he's going to punch somebody, uh, sweep the leg, rip somebody's heart out, and feed it back to them. I don't know what it is, but something's <laughs> going to happen, and I'm going to end up falling in love with that fellow. He's a great guy. You can fall in love with him anyway. All right. Uh, all right. Who do you think the MVP of the team will be? Buzz, I'll start with you on this one. Wow. Um, I'm going to go soft Michael Barrios. I'm not, I'm not sold with Michael Barrios. I think Michael Barrios has found himself in the sense that like, he's now done the exact same thing for two or three years in a row. I think he's going to do it again with have, you know, 10 plus assists and a couple of goals. And because he never gets called up, he'll be here all the time and he's always healthy. I think he's your MVP. Hmm. Damn. Boring, boring and unsexy MVP. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a buzz. He's going to have a hand in around 20 goals between assists and scored and just be the most consistent guy there. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna take a, a a really bizarre twist on this. I'm gonna say it's Reggie Cannon because I believe Reggie will end up staying with the team for the entire season. Well, that's an HSO. All right, go. yeah. Someone uh, put a siren in this. <laughs> uh, uh, let okay. So, what place do you think FC Dallas will end up with? I'll start. Um, I think I'm along with most people. I think this team will be a playoff team, although on the back end of the playoffs, I'm predicting fifth or sixth place in the Western Conference. And I th- and I think, uh, unfortunately, they'll probably have a first-round fate as they have the last couple of years. I think they'll end up losing in the first round. Who's next? Uh, whoever. You go. Boys. All right, I'll, I'll go. I have them fourth. I have them getting, I think, the Franco Jara edition pushes them back up to fourth. 
uh, and they will get that one home playoff game. They'll be behind LAFC and Seattle and one other team that I can't tell you because there's like six teams that are all about the same there. Uh, and then they'll be fourth. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go fourth as well. I can see LAFC, the Galaxy, Seattle. I mean, I don't see many teams that are like that much, you know, that that are really that better. It's, it's really going to come down to those games during international call-ups and injuries. And uh, where do you think they'll end up in the playoffs, Dan? Oh, uh, Christ. That's a tough one. Um, I think they'll get that, that home playoff win, and then uh, however it ends up after that, they'll they'll screw it up somehow. All right. um, I agree. Lucci, when, will when have, the, Lucci will have achieved his goal of yeah. winning a home playoff game. All right. Kick-ass. That's awesome. And then uh, I probably should have asked this one first before that. Uh, is there anybody ever prediction on breakout player for the 2020 season for FC Dallas? Dan, go ahead. Uh, first half, Tanner Tessman. Uh, second half, well, you can't say higher, can you? Um, no, yeah, I, it. No, 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 I think you could. I think if, if Franco Hara shows up and he dumps in a ton of goals in a short period of time, you could absolutely call him the breakout player. No doubt about it. Okay, we'll go with that one. All right. Buzz? If I could pick Fafa Pico, it's Fafa Pico. If I can't, then if Reggie is sold, it's Brian Reynolds. And if I can't, if Reggie's not sold, it's Callum Montgomery. Ooh, I, I hedged my bets big time, but I, I, I got a feeling about Callum. Okay. Um, and this is going to contradict my Reggie Cannon prediction, but if Reggie does end up getting sold, which is probably the smart money, but I'm, I'm just, uh, that was my uh, one winger uh the breakout player will be john nelson mm. is that johnny nelson playing right back or ryan holly said it right and johnny at left uh i you know that's a good question no good lord please don't let ryan play right back i know um, yeah. i know no, I, it would, I think it's gonna be johnny i think johnny's gonna have a breakout season either way because i i just have a feel i have this weird feeling we're gonna see that guy more than we anticipated whether that means ryan is needed somewhere else on the field or, um, you know, he ends up taking uh, Reggie's place uh, while he's on call-ups or whatever. Uh, every time I see that kid play for this team, I'm nothing but impressed, and I just have a suspicion he's going to have a really good second season for the club. He's a heck of a player. I wouldn't. That wouldn't shock me either. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think on the whole, we all feel that this season, along with Lucci's prediction, will be slightly better than last season, which would be, uh, and I, I think that probably jives with the idea that this was a, a multi-year project. And if you really wanted to put your finger on a, a season to really start to shoot for an MLS Cup championship, it's probably 2021, but this will be a good transition year to get there. Yeah, it's a step forward, right? That's what we've been talking about with this club. If the, the core young guys can make progress, take a step forward, that's what we're expecting over the next two or three seasons. Right. All right. Uh, just real quick note, uh, did everybody see the new San Antonio kits they debuted, the shirts? They're delicious. Except so that Nike swoosh is in the wrong place no. and it kind of ruins the whole thing. It's a tiny <laughs> detail. They're, they're magnificent. It's a massive detail. It's so if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, San Antonio is wearing a black and red checkered design. Now, Buzz, I, I want to know if you uh, saw my reply 
uh, about my my feelings about the shirt. I did see your reply, and you're correct that if you have a wonderful piece of branding, you have to be consistent with it and use it over and over and over and over again. That's the key part about branding. 100% on the money. Just this in particular one kit, I think, is amazing. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it, that they capitalize that and use it forever, like they really should do. Yeah, it's it, it, I, it. The the my feeling about it is the shirt design is really good. I really particularly like how they integrated the Toyota logo in in the checkers uh, and did that's nice, really cool. It did a really cool job with that. My my point is is what I don't like is unless they go with a checkered shirt from here on out as a home shirt, it's just a bit. It's no more of a bit than the Starry Night FC Dallas jersey or the deconstructed flag jersey. Uh, and that's a bit of a disappointment because, man, if they stick with that going forward, you know, they can change it ever yeah. so slightly every year, kind of like Croatia does. Uh, or Czech, is it the Czechs or the Croatia, Croats? Who Croatia. Croatia, yeah. Yeah. Croatia does. Um, uh, you know, then that's a great move on their part. If they just do it as a one-off, then I, you know, it's no, it, it, it doesn't fall under branding in my mind. So. The, the problem they're going to have is, you know, Croatia obviously has a, a massive contract with Nike, so they get a bespoke design jersey. San Antonio don't. The best they can really do is, and I, I mean, I haven't seen an up-closer one of these, but I suspect it may be the case, is, uh, well, either they're using like a, a my team kind of customized design where you pick from like a couple of templates, mm-hmm. or they're actually printing the the checker pattern on, which is something the uh, Sherlock's used to do. They used to print the dog on like standard uh, Adidas jerseys. Right. Hmm. Um, so there's kind of not a lot of variation they can do with it. No. Well, that's our biggest complaint about the FC Dallas kits over the years is that if you didn't like hoops, that's fine. Pick something else, whatever it is, pick something as your standard primary kit and stick with it. Manchester United, red jerseys, white shorts, black socks, Liverpool, all red, uh, Celtic, the green and white hoops, whatever it is. Every big club in the world, uh, minus a couple, has a pretty like Real Madrid, all white. Whatever it is, pick a thing and have that be your thing. Just stick well, with it. Quit and they don't have that issue that, that, you just mentioned with San Antonio, you know, the Adidas contract yeah. gives them a bespoke jersey. In this case, there is one other club that has that hoop pattern, and that's River Plate on the third jersey that's never going to see the light of day because it clashes with their home jersey. Yeah. <sighs> Consistency of branding, right? So we always say, be yeah. consistent. Well, yeah. I guess they kind of gave you the. I, I do get annoyed when people talk about the hoops returning this particular in this design. I like I like this new shirt. I like the des, I, I'm I'm okay with the design, but I in no way call it hoops because it's not by any definition. It's they're just it's four sure. horizontal lines that you know. As my favorite response was, highlights my giant gut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, uh, nobody really has full hoops anymore. It's just no. you know, it's just what we call horizontal stripes instead of vertical stripes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the season kicks off on Saturday at five o'clock at Toyota Stadium. Uh, Lucci Gonzalez's second season uh, with his crew playing Lucci ball. Everybody, I hope, is excited. I hope there's a great crowd there on Saturday afternoon. And uh, Dan and Buzz, I appreciate both your time and uh, look Wait, forward won't, to us. Uh, won't, hmm? won't there be a great crowd on, on Friday night, too, for the uh, 15th annual 24-hour tailgate? Uh, yes, yes. Tell everybody about the tailgate. Remind everybody the details about that, please. Well, that's it, really. People gather in the red lot 24 hours before the game and stay there until the game. Um, 
the Dallas Beer Guardians kind of lead that, uh, taking over, taking the mantle from the uh, the Inferno. Um, you know, we've we've all we've all heard uh, about the Inferno and that that first one in in August where they uh, sweltered in tents and didn't quite last the night. Nope. Fortunately, now it's the opposite problem where everyone just freezes and gets uh, hypothermia. Uh, although this year the weather looks like it's going to be kind of promising. Um, FC Dallas uh, traditionally supply pizza the night before and they're promising donuts in the morning of the game. Uh, Dan Hunt normally comes out to keep to a longer tradition that Lamar Hunt used to do and visit the fans during the night. Lucci's going to come out, uh, I think, six on Friday. Um, there's a couple of players supposed to come out. Uh, I think FC Dallas are going to send a social media team out at some point. Uh, there's beer supplied by Patty Curtis Brewing Company for free, tons of food. Uh, El Matador will get there, uh, I think, 12 on the day of the game. So, uh, you know, even more people for the party. And, uh, you know, just, just gather, hang out, huddle up in the warmth and, uh, you know, celebrate a new season. All right. And uh, Buzz, uh, would you like to uh, pimp your Patreon for everybody, please? I would indeed. Patreon.com slash third degree. And I want to give out a special thank you to everyone because we hit our first major goal of 100 patrons, which is uh, after your little rant last week, which is beneficial. And we started to get close to 100. People started saying, oh, let's push them over the thing. And we got over 100. We're now like at 103 or whatever. So I take, uh, I'm, I take full credit for that. Yeah. Well, I'll give you partial credit, but I, no, you know, I want really full proud. credit, full credit, full credit to Peter. Uh, <laughs> I just, I'm really proud of the fact that, uh, I've, I, we, the fans, the patrons, the followers have, have achieved this first major goal and we did it in the off season. So I'm super excited about the future and I'm really hoping that people are enjoying the content and will support us podcast and website and, uh, and this onward and upward. I'm excited. All right. Yes. Buzz, everybody loves you. All right. Now I can finally do a proper dismount. Dan buzz. Thank you for your time and expertise and insight. We will talk to you next week, hopefully with a win under the belt for the next edition of third degree, the podcast. Thomas. Robert.